0: Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost and Criterion. I'm John Patrick O'Hitari-Dorgan, and with me, as always, is a man who swims like an angel and has magic water powers.
1: <laughs> I am the Adam Glass and Didoy. Have you ever seen me? Yeah. So graceful and beautiful. I mean, uh, jumping
0: just vertically straight out of the water onto the onto the deck. It's amazing.
1: Pat, before we get into our movies plural this week, mm, uh, let's talk plethora. about our Patreon real fast. It's, uh, it, it, it nearly is a plethora. Over Patreon.com slash Lost in Criterion, you can help keep us going, get access to some bonus content for as little as a dollar a month. Uh, that one dollar tier gets you access to the entire back catalog of bonus episodes over there. Uh, there's over 70. You get to vote on what we're going to watch next. Uh, and yeah, every month except for December we do a vote over there for yeah we don't believe in democracy in, in the in
0: the winter holidays i'm sorry
1: no 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 end of year is not for democracy uh you you know the Jeez, the slogan stupid. democracy dies in darkness
0: yeah well, it is very dark in december
1: december we do our uh, we do our holiday special that everybody gets to hear uh on the main podcast so uh there's no uh there's no patreon update that month yeah we can't handle it it's we're too, much, very grateful. too much movies <laughs> We watch a good mix of movies over there, a little above that $1 mark. For $5, for folks who can afford to help keep us going, uh, More. we More increase than, than our than thanks the $1. to them.
0: It's important to note that the $1 are also keeping us going.
1: Yes, the $1 is keeping us going, and we're very grateful to all our $1 supporters. Uh, but the $5 people, we're so grateful to that we thank them on air. Uh, thank you so much to our current $5 supporters, Andrew Jarrett, Stephen Goldmeyer, Eric Coronado, and Chris Otto. Yes, thank you. Above that, we do something pretty dang special. Super special, even. Pat makes a piece of art based on one of the movies we watched recently. I get that printed up on a postcard once a month and write a little personalized note to our $10 and above supporters. And we also like to thank them on air. Thank you so much to Adam Speakerman, Patrick Yako, Nina Bojnak, Jason Westhaver, and Tracy McGrath. Our $10 and above support. Yes, thank you so much. If you want to see those postcards without committing to that $10 mark, you can head over to redbubble.com. Search for Lost in Criterion there. You'll see our past postcards, uh, at least the ones that Redbubble hasn't taken down because there was a legal challenge and Redbubble just folds in the face of those.
0: Just full-on cowards, yeah.
1: You can buy buy those past postcard designs as postcards, as greeting cards, uh, as stickers, uh, some as buttons, uh, some of his shirts, uh, basically uh, tablecloths, placemats. More recently, if it looks like the art's going to work for something, I'll just I'll just let us know. Some I think there might be a couple of iPhone cases in the mix now too. Really grateful to everybody who has ever purchased anything off our Redbubble. Really grateful to everybody who's ever supported us on our Patreon, and really grateful to you for listening. Thanks. Yeah, thank you for being here with, with us. Pat, this week we are starting a two part episode of The Complete Jean Vigo, uh, which is spine number 578. Um, We're splitting it in half because there's just, there is. Jean Vigo had a very short career. Uh, Everything he ever produced is about three hours worth of material. Uh, But covering four different movies uh, in one episode seemed like a disservice to uh, Jean Vigo.
0: Well, and you, when you combine it with the with the and with bonus yes. materials,
1: it it there's a good amount of bonus material as well that we wanted to give proper consideration to, so that we you right. know uh, learn as much about Jean Vigo. Criterion is giving us this whole complete Jean Vigo, right? So we want to learn as much as we can. Um, we will be splitting this not yeah. only into two episodes, but across our holiday special as well. So we'll do uh, we'll do this. This week we'll have the holiday special next week and then we'll come back uh before <laughs> the last episode of the year we'll be finishing up the Jean Vigo set. But yeah, this week we'll be talking about three of his films. Apropos de Nice, a sort of travel log in a manner of speaking, but a look at the city of Nice.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, when you read like I I that one's an interesting yeah. one in the sense that like you kind of, like, from just watching you, you get the general vibe, you get, like, what he's going for. But then, like, when you see, like, do the reading about it,
1: you're like, ah, oh, okay, yeah.
0: like, this is very purposely what I thought Right, it right, was, right. Right, like, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, it's very purposely made to be yeah. what it is. Right? Um,
1: then we'll be talking about Terrace, which is what Pat was referencing in our opening. A, his only commissioned work, uh, a documentary on uh, a swimming champion. Um, and uh, Zero de Conduit, Zero for Conduct. A uh, narrative film about uh, boys at a boarding school that uh, we'll talk about um, its influence. Uh, that's all this week, saving for our next episode, his final film, La Atalante, which is a narrative as well and his longest work, uh, and we'll really look forward into diving into that uh, for that episode in two weeks. But yeah, let's uh, let's get started. Some biographical information first. Vigo only produced four works because he died of tuberculosis at the age of 29. Complications of tuberculosis. Which Complications is of tuberculosis. It's true. He had had tuberculosis since he was about 21. He had a complicated childhood. <laughs> um, yeah, he did. Uh, so his dad is an anarchist by the name of Eugene Vigo. Uh, Eugene Bonaventure Jean Baptiste Vigo, actually, uh, but his nom de guerre was Miguel Almereda. Um, Almereda is described in Vigo's Wikipedia article as a militant anarchist, which is a use of the word "militant" that is technically correct, but but not uh, because he was also a uh, a hardline pacifist. Um, it is. It so. is the. It is
0: the. The technical definition of militant. <laughs> yes. Not
1: the. Not the sort of colloquial
0: definition. Yeah. And then also apparently a socialist at the end anyway. Yes. 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 Um, yes. Sort um, of a, the transition that, that that happens to
1: everyone eventually. <laughs> hey, I've I've slid back actually. But
0: <laughs> okay. Yeah. When you realize that non-constructed <laughs> entities don't survive. also Um, you want to write for a newspaper that's a socialist newspaper so you decide
1: i could get along. i could could call myself a socialist (laughs) yeah this this is fine i'll
0: join the party whatever
1: (laughs) gets me a job that's fine um yeah yeah albert was a hardline anarchist started writing for a socialist newspaper which actually led to accusations of betrayal from some of his anarchist friends
0: who hasn't been there
1: right yeah oh definitely uh leftist infighting particularly across the the anarchist non-anarchist split uh very common amirada was accused of espionage uh basically just being a traitor to his country for being against world war one and for writing in favor of peace with germany that basically would not have punished germany uh,
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. It's it's a, a no fault piece essentially,
1: yeah, right? A no fault piece. Which,
0: to be fair, probably would have forestalled World War Two, but whatever.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Historically, uh, you know,
0: if, we, if we're if we're if we're if we're playing if we're playing the the uh, alternative historical fiction game, yeah, uh, which I like, which pretty, we all like to. Yeah, that's a pretty uh, it's a fairly fairly well understood concept that 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 the the sort of. Reparations and stuff that were forced on Germany after World War One, or sort of, directly lead to World War Two. So, yeah, just saying, should have listened to this guy. Plus, he had a bitchin' mustache, just he really did. rad. Yeah,
1: really great mustache. Uh, dude dude, dude some,
0: is dude looks
1: awesome. <laughs> someone described him as looking like Don Quixote. Uh and, and that's yeah, not, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not unfair to the mustache. Uh, anyway, uh, because of uh, his anti-war stance uh, at the end of World War I. In 1917, Almererda was sent to prison where he died. Uh, and where officially, he was definitely murdered. <laughs> where he was definitely murdered. Officially, it is uh, on the record as a suicide, uh, but he was found with uh, uh, a shoelace tied around his neck, tied to his bed. Um, a way that happens all the time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was probably just an accident, really.
0: Right, uh, yeah, I, the number of times I've nearly killed myself tying my own shoes, I mean, honestly. Yeah. That's why I wear exclusively slip-ons now.
1: Yeah. Uh, this led Jean Vigo, uh, living under the shadow of that, uh, to have to live under an assumed name for many years. Uh, and Yeah, I couldn't
0: get into high school or anything else, yeah.
1: right? Cause yeah, no school in Paris would take him in. Uh, that relationship, uh, yeah. So he had to go to a boarding school in the boonies under an assumed name, uh, which is, uh, one of the, uh, uh, inspirations for, uh, Zero Day Conduit. Um, the third film we'll be talking about this week is his time at boarding school. He ended up getting married to a woman who came from money, uh, which is good because that's how he was able to afford a camera to shoot. Denise.
0: It's the way you do it, uh, man. It's the way you do it.
1: Yeah. Uh her her dad bought him the camera for it. Died in nineteen thirty four. Um, but was very sick for a while. It comes up I can't remember if it's in uh, the bonus material that we watched or one of the essays, uh but uh you know, someone at one point said about having to make compromises uh to get his film made. Um, was saying, you know, this is just what you do. You know, you eat you eat shit for a film, and then you're able to do what you want to do later. And Vigo's like, yeah, that's great. I'm going to be dead next year, so uh, I'm just going to do what I want now. <laughs> and, and if it works, right, it right.
0: works. Well, and it's interesting, because they describe, like, it's, like, as far as I can tell, right, from just what they describe, because, like, obviously, like, in that sort of documentary about him, uh, you know, it's the memories of many, many people sort of all mashed together, right? So it's yeah, right, a little right, bit right. muddled, but... But like, essentially, seemingly like the entire the entirety of his career, he knows he's gonna die soon. Basically, it seems right. like yeah. But like the last like Lanta Lante was like, is like the most intense version of that. But like, they just described like him essentially like, just completely like balls to the walls like yeah doesn't matter like I don't care if I live or die like for every every moment of every every film right like it's like it's pretty it's pretty scary and crazy sounding frankly
1: yeah certainly uh certainly a condition of life that I am glad not to live under but then again uh there are many ways in which we all live under that constant threat of death well, in yeah. society. It's
0: just more it's more acute when you're like well this yeah.
1: tuberculosis is clearly going to kill me.
0: Right. I don't know what the tuberculosis treatments were like in 1930s but like yeah it's it's basically like he's essentially got a death sentence hanging over his head it seems like so.
1: So let's get uh, let's get into the movies. Our first okay. one Okay. Apropos Denise from 1930 is a short film uh, first short it's the only one that's silent Semi-documentary, uh, there, is, there are obviously some, I suppose, staged shots, uh, but not... Yeah,
0: I mean, there's quite... There's. there's yeah. I think
1: a lot, actually, but yeah. There's, there's yeah. quite a bit. Quite a bit of staging going on, but also quite a bit of clandestine filmmaking, uh, guerrilla gorilla camera work on the streets of Nice. Yeah. They film that, as you said, in watching it without knowing anything about it, you can get a pretty good idea of what's going on, and that it's nice. Right, to yeah, get there's the definitely confirmation. class
0: politics going on. Yeah. yeah, and then you read about it, and you're like, he made this inspired by Soviet newsreels, and is meant to be a commentary on <laughs> class politics in Nice, of yeah. popular vacation destination, where you know, and the sort of disparities that that creates in society. Right? It's like, yep, okay, yeah, there it is. Yeah, that's what I that's what I thought, but yeah, good to know yeah that I wasn't wrong.
1: Vigo gets two hundred fifty dollars from his father-in-law, buys a camera. um around the same time he met uh Boris and Mikhail Kaufman, and Boris and Mikhail Kaufman are Russian brothers. Uh, they are the brothers of a man whose name has come up for us before. uh Ziga Vertov, really? Ziga Vertov is a Soviet documentary filmmaker. And uh, and film theorist. I don't know that we've seen anything directly from him. I'm sure we've seen things directly inspired by him. Uh, one of his most famous works is a 1929 film called Man with a Movie Camera. The main way Ziga Vertov has come up for us is that uh, the Ziga Vertov group was the ni- early 70s French Film collective that produced, uh, uh, Latavien, uh, right, okay, <laughs> the group that uh that Godard fell in with, um, and Gorin, and yeah, uh, some of our some of our favorite French films of of that era were Ziegarevich. Uh, anyway, so his little brothers moved to France, and we're all like, hey, we want to make movies too, um. And they were good. Yeah. Uh, Boris Kaufman is the cinematographer for, I think, uh, all of our Vigo work. Um, yes, all of our Vigo work. And then went on yeah. to have a very illustrious career uh, shooting 12 Angry Men and a, a couple other movies for Sidney Lumet. And then Mikhail. I mean, he works similarly. in the film industry in,
0: in the Soviet Union, basically, right? Like, it's yeah, sort of the deal, right?
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, I don't know that he ever made it to uh, made it to the US. Um but yeah, similarly doing a lot. I mean, of he seems directing. like I
0: mean, his his Wikipedia is quite short, but it does seem that he is, is was at least somewhat important in um in the sort of Soviet film Soviet film industry.
1: Well, he also shot man with the movie camera. Well, while, while his brother right. directed. So, uh right. So they were two guys uh, whose brother was maybe a little more famous at that point, (laughs) but they fell in with Vigo in Paris, uh, and they decided to make a movie. Um, Apropos Denise, I guess if you're going to make a movie inspired by Soviet newsreels, hiring the brothers of the most famous experimental, (laughs) pushing the limits Soviet newsreel guy. Right, right,
0: yeah. You're certainly going to get the right style out of it, right? You're right. going to get the right, the, the right, and then like again, one of them become like later goes on to just continue that line of thinking and and yeah. becomes a Soviet newsreel guy, like basically, right? Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it. The thing about it is, is right? It's it's Soviet newsreel, but like with a very noticeable sort of humorous sort of twist. Yes. Not humor necessarily in the fact that like it's always funny because as again it is mostly about um, about sort of. Um, class you know uh yeah you know, what's the word i'm looking for not class conflict because it's not even about the conflict it's just sort of about um it's just about presenting inequality. the distinction yeah the inequality yeah it's a, it's a sort of inequality and um but but also with lots of sort of like i don't know like i'm looking for the word like comedic but like more in a classical sense of comedic that rather than like necessarily all dramatic jokes, irony um yeah well and i'm also thinking like comedy in sort of more of a like traditional sense the the idea that like sort of just it is silly yeah looking like so yeah. it's it's not serious i mean it is very serious the subject is quite serious and and seemingly taken quite seriously but like mixed in with a sort of humorous bent right. um it, it, it is it's interesting right cuz there's lots of juxtapositions of images uh it actually reminds me you know who I, I thought of when I was watching it. It was like, oh, Stan Brackage would have liked this movie quite a bit, I suspect
1: I think that's fair uh yeah uh it, it doesn't really have plot per se, yeah, um, there's some film manipulation um there's some some reversing of images going on in it, uh, but right. it doesn't have it doesn't have the sort of film manipulation that brackage.
0: No, I was does, thinking more like but, er, like the early bracket stuff, like the, his like his around yeah. the, the the sort of train thing, and like yeah. I mean more in the sense that like it sort of eschews the concept that you need narrative and and that like right. these things are necessary to make like art out of film, right? And, and more sort lot, of tries to go for the heart of the matter more right. directly.
1: There's a lot in this movie of the camera like spinning and and getting weird angles. There's a there's a sequence in this film where where that sort of dizziness of the camera work is uh, meant to evoke how hot the afternoon is, uh, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really great. Uh, yeah, no, it's it's definitely yeah, it's experimental in all the. Uh, yeah, I mean, especially when you consider ways. like
0: where you are in time and and everything and as far right. as cameras are concerned. Like we've seen other experimental works uh, with cameras. I cannot for the life. It's one of the like movies we watched probably like the first year. Oh. oh man, like it was like a like a study of like light and shadow. It was a silent film. There was like statues and stuff. Uh you Shit. might be I'm thinking of a Jean what it is. You
1: might be thinking of a Jean Cocteau film uh from it early on, but I can't I can't think of uh It was it was,
0: like, what it, might it was like it was like one of probably the first and most exper- it was probably the first experimental sort of film that we ever saw. Yeah. Um I can I'll find I'll I'll hunt around while we talk, but um
1: Maybe you'll remember what that was. Maybe you won't. Uh, but yeah, um, it's <laughs> there is a lot of great humor in this of comparing rich people to animals. Uh, just lots and lots of of street shots, tight clips of uh, men and women in fancy clothes, intercut with a uh, a sudden cut of a, a an ostrich. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah. The uh the sunbathers being compared uh visually to alligators or crocodiles, I couldn't tell. Uh I guess they could be caimans, but I think they were probably uh crocodiles. We'll never know. <laughs> um I'm not up on my lizards that much. Uh me neither. I like to keep it that way. One of my favorite little bits i well maybe i need to 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 step here um we start with workers right we start with street cleaners before we move up the chain to the rich people um not the first image of course the, our, we start with aerial shots and then the model train arriving and and two two idle rich people represented as dolls getting off the train and then getting lost at the casinos uh shown by just having the dolls thrown onto the roulette.
2: Table. I
0: love it. I love all it's that. That <laughs> that scene I was like for mint there was like, is this all gonna be dolls and like tr yeah. model trains? Because if it is, I'm on board. Here we go. Yeah. Which I was still on bar- board regardless, but boy, I was I was committed immediately. Was like, this is yeah.
1: amazing. And we get the workers. Um there's a sequence so another thing we have here is sort of alternative footage that someone has edited together I think for the Criterion release.
2: Uh-huh.
1: Um and that one gets title cards. Uh but it's still generally the same everything is narratively structured in the same order in that in that version Yeah, of there's a
0: couple of there's a, I think somewhere I read a description that sort of talked about um what was going on and mm-hmm. like, you know, yeah, and, and sort of like the breakdown of like what you know things that were removed. And all, like it's yeah. it's it's a very sort of it is it is like isn't it like a sh- it's a shortened version, right? It's it's not even like an alternative ending, really. It's just
1: no, it's it's just alternative takes, uh, but right, uh, and a little bit of for the final sequence. There's a little bit of editorial explanation of uh, what Vigo was doing. In the, uh, in the final sequence And that's where it right. talks about Flipping The uh, The film uh, And how you can really only tell When there's words on the screen uh, A chop in the background or something right, With words yeah. on it um, But that one uh, Labels Everything from the tennis Introduction through the Grand Prix As the idle rich And I I take issue a little bit with that. Uh, okay. because I think there is something more interesting narratively going on there than just shots of the idle rich. Uh, I think the guys playing bocce are not rich. Okay. I think the guys playing bocce are working class men in their afternoon. Um, they are dressed differently. They have different facial hair to the idle rich. Uh, because I think what's going on is we get this establishment of the tennis and how regimental the tennis is. the tennis is on dedicated courts. The tennis is on has uh ticketed seats with numbers where you watch the tennis match right um, and then we cut to the guys playing bocce and they're just on the street. they're on dirt paths right uh, well,
0: I mean, but my 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 the flip side of that right is that like, the whole thing is about juxtaposition, right? Right. Yes, that section is labeled the idle rich, but they are not... the I don't think they're trying to say those are the idle rich. That is the juxtaposition between yeah. the rich who play this sort of like not fun, not fun, air quotes, <laughs> game. Yeah. And then... And then you know, workers and such playing a game that they are actually invested yeah. in in a fun way. Right. And where, they, where they, I think they, that they, to a certain extent, they've like locked themselves into a cage right. that, of quote unquote fun.
1: Right. Yeah. Where I think that's get interesting then is when we get to the grand prix stuff, because the bocce sequence, bocce is an outdoor game. Uh, and if you don't have a dedicated or, you know, whatever sort of lawn bowling they're playing, I, I, I'm calling it bocce because it looked like bocce, but it may not have been actually bocce. Um, but, uh, but that's a game you can play pretty much anywhere as long as you have a flat space. And uh, a right. road is a good flat space. Uh, but the Grand Prix takes away the road from the workers, right? right. It, it, uh, it's, uh, you know, maybe this... <laughs> I live a life where I think about how cars encroach on human spaces a lot
0: well and and but that's Uh, the thing that was high but that's a thing that in many ways right up until re up until sort of the more modern era that's a thing that like there's a million essays written in the 1930s about like fuck them cars right like fucking stealing what is essentially our public space right like right um so like you know it's not like it's not like they people weren't thinking about like he's definitely thinking about it like like and honestly, there was a time when that was such a popular opinion that like it almost throughout the world it almost seemed we may have escaped the, the current nightmare that we live in had things gone slightly different. Um <laughs> Yeah. But like no well yeah, and but the thing about it is also obviously you're getting into the fact that like those are both examples of, of rich peop of intensely rich people sports, right? Like tennis is that way Motor car racing is that way like it it always has been it always will be um and certainly in the nineteen thirties this is a hyper rich man sport like right it it doesn't matter that it's a good way for rich people to kill themselves, like good on them, i guess for inventing a sport that will mostly kill them all right. um like one one like it either way it is it is an intensely rich like all right. Yeah. I don't know. It, I wouldn't say it is more now then, than now, but like just in the sense that like the cars the, were even more sort of out of reach and inaccessible,
1: right. right? The grand prix design of uh on-street city races that uh still happen uh in 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 rich communities in Europe uh happen occasionally in the US. Actually, in, in increasingly in the US. Over the last couple of years, uh, there was one. There's a street. Uh, I don't think it was NASCAR, but I'm pretty sure it wasn't Indy either. Um, I don't know what the what the cars were, uh, but there was a street Grand Prix in uh, uh, Las Vegas just within the last few weeks, and in Chicago last year. And they are, they are messes. They are. They are. You're yielding yeah, I mean, city they all, streets they, they... Uh, that are not designed. <laughs> For, for this work. Um.
0: Right. And and the thing about it is, is that like, and and they, again, they always have been, that's just like what they are. Right. Um, you know, they are, um, and, 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 and they are that way, some way, in some ways, when you imagine like the way, the, the function of that is, right? Like it is a, a direct representation of how the rich can sort of, do, sort of enclose the commons at any time. Right. At will, with like right. n- essentially no pushback,
1: yeah, and that's what um, I was thinking in interpreting the bocce guys as lower class, uh, and the cars. No, I, I think their
0: that's space. A- I think that's accurate. I don't I yeah. don't think you're wrong. I, my my point is just that like I I think we need to be careful not to take the sort of title card mentality as right, like right, the right. word of law. Right? Yeah, I think that's right. Like he's he he's got a thing he's doing. It's a very classic thing. Which is, we are going to keep juxtaposing these two yeah. sets, like, kinds of scenes on each other. It is, I mean, and to me, like, the tennis is, like, one thing. The tennis is getting into, the as you talked about, the idea of regimentation, the idea that, like, can't even play fun games because right. they've, the you know, <laughs> like, money, like, wealth and money and all that has essentially defund their fun. Yeah. Uh, but, like, beyond that, uh, you get into this like you know, but I think in many ways you end up with the um the 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 Grand Prix being much more of a like a yeah overt and in sort of vicious commentary, right? Because of just sort of all the things that that represents in and of itself, right? Like it, it's just it has so much sort of shit attached to it in every possible way,
1: right? And so. the sailing race we see is similar, is doing the same thing to It's, it's a very similar thing, but yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. But generally, a, a sailboat race takes part in in a part of the ocean where uh, you're not at odds with uh, the lower class enjoyments of the ocean or workers uh, trying so, to utilize. So, I, I the would
0: ocean. say that I think we get into a really interesting so, like you get into like sort of three separate commentaries on class politics, right? Yeah, because the 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 tennis court is not doing that. Like the tennis right. court, pro- at some point, probably did enclose some commons, but it's oh, so certainly. yes long out of of out of mind that it's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about they like sort of what this sort of desire to regiment things as a part of sort of constructing a sort of m- like sort of modern capitalist society involves. Right, right. Um, in the the Grand Prix, you're talking about. A direct enclosure of commons and sort of – and, like, just overt sort of waste and sort of making it a totally unusable space, right? Like, right. nobody can, like – and, and you know, and making theory, it a, at least to a certain extent, the Grand Prix is somewhat open to the public in the sense that, like – The public can really get and watch it. People but people watching them. Yeah, they can't participate. But, well, I was having this conversation with my kids the other day, actually, uh, because we watch motorsport occasionally – and the thing is, is that you got to get into a conversation about the fact that, like, motorsport. So we were talking about what the most popular sports in the world are, right? And we get into well, soccer being the most, right? And and part one can kind of understand how this works is that soccer is among the most infinitely playable by anybody games, right? Like anybody, right. like you literally have to assemble such a small amount of supplies that can essentially be made out of fucking anything, and you can do it. Right. Uh, you you essentially need to own nothing to make to make soccer work on a sort of fundamental level, right so you in that way, you have a mass populace right in the sense that like anybody could be involved uh you maybe you can't actually in practicality get into the like you know upper echelons of play without actually being wealthy but you can imagine you can, right? Because you could play it like you were able to play it no matter where you were, right? And then you get the opposite side of that and you get into something like F1 or something that's that's got pretty mass appeal and it's almost from the exact opposite direction. It's so exclusive that everybody watching knows they're not going to be involved in it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, 100% yeah. of people who consume it know that they have zero chance to ever be in it. The closest you could get is just getting to watch it, right? Right. Um. And, and... But Most watching sports, it is
1: an inherently dangerous activity too, right? Right. It's also
0: inherently <laughs> dangerous, especially when yeah. you talk about street Grand Prix and stuff like that. Uh yeah. or 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 fucking even worse, fucking like um uh um rally races. But like um just fucking just have a car hit you at any yeah. time. Yeah. Um but like but that's what I'm saying is that um is that uh it has at least it. it it carries with itself at least the idea that I can at least watch these rich dumbasses crash into stuff. Yeah. And hope it's not me. Um on the third hand is sailing, which represents a whole, I think, separate point, which is two two things. Number one, you have taken a fundamentally proletarian object and rendered it into a sport. That they can't participate in, right? Right. The boat the 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 sort of basic sailing ship these very small ships are fundamentally proletarian devices right they are they are sort of at their heart derived from something like a fishing boat at 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 base level right a thing that is used by a mass quantity of especially on a on a coastal town a huge portion of uh the of the working populace is in some way connected either they are getting their food through it or they are um or doing it actively. Right, right. Yeah. Um but you've rendered it into a sport that uses this what what is a fundamentally the same device but for the leisure of the rich and also is exclusive and can't be the people who use that for work are not are not permitted to cross into that space, right? Like they're not right. they are exclusive, right? Like, yes, I own a boat, I use a boat every day, I'm probably better at using a boat than this asshole. Yeah, But he's off here racing and having, like, fucking around. I'm over here fucking fishing, essentially, right? Like, this sort of, like, it's a not an enclosure of the commons, but it's a very similar sort of concept in the sense that, like, ah, we do the real... And, and, and you know that every single one of those assholes is also being snotty about it at the same time about right. he's doing the real sailing, whereas this guy who has to go fishing every day yeah. is not doing real sailing or whatever it's it's a sort of different commentary uh and i would also argue that it um it 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 is a different kind of it's also a kind of sport that now the common people don't even get to really observe right right like the grand prix you can at least fucking watch it. (laughs) it might kill you but you can watch it now these assholes are off racing so far away that like who gets to fucking enjoy this it's not a spectator sport yeah. It's it's the amusement of the specific idol rich who is engaged in doing it only. Right. Because right. it's not a spectator sport. It barring the invention of fucking helicopters, it's not a spectator sport.
1: Well, I think I think there's probably optics that can uh can get you. Well, I mean people use but, like cliffs and stuff, but right? Still,
0: yes. But my my point is is that like you have an even harder time conceiving of the guys who were playing bocce ball hiking up to the fucking cliff to watch a bunch of fucking rich assholes like tool around in boats. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's um, it's even less appealing to the masses sort of sport, right? Is It's for the amusement of the person doing it more than right. anything else.
1: And then uh, and then the idle rich become even more idle in our next sequence where it's just all of them falling asleep randomly. I,
0: I love them all falling asleep. <laughs> around That's the very city.
1: funny. While while buskers actively play music to them uh, we right did. although
0: I, I i I will argue the Vigo seems to have an obsession with
1: legs and feet yes
0: uh, but beyond that
1: i I don't know if it's necessarily an obsession with legs and feet so much as a uh byproduct of the hidden camera that they're using, probably uh just not being at eye level. So easier to shoot. I think it's also people, probably
0: worth you could. I think you can make an argument, and I've 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 considered this before, and sort of like when thinking about interesting topics that would be interesting to write about, but I don't have the time or energy to do it. Would yeah. be how in many ways shoes are very are hyper uh, class reflective, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Beyond sort of the 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 the, the um the Sandvimes uh, theory of boots, it's it's more also beyond that. Is it just like the the those idle. Rich have a certain kind of shoes on, many times totally non functional for actually living in yeah their exclusive they they it's the ability it's like in many ways how like fingernails can also do that right this sort of idea of like you you can sort of come to see a a very specific class politics in in those kind of things right right um yeah,
1: and uh yeah, then we get even more overt class politic we move from the crowded streets of the idle rich all existing individualistically uh to our first our first clip of the poorer neighborhood is a whole bunch of women washing their clothes together in a public space right 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 um in the shadows of the tenements uh and then kids playing card games and hand games uh, and then kids whose hands have been disfigured presumably from child labor or malnutrition uh, and then one kid who well at
0: least a li- at least a little bit of leprosy there's yeah, definitely some leprosy going on
1: some some sort of yeah either chemical burns or, or I mean disease. I, I'm pretty sure
0: that yeah it, it's not clear but like it also kind of doesn't matter yeah uh, wh- whether you're disfigured through sort of societal neglect or societal like, Neglect of a different kind here it's all right, right. it's all it's all social murder, right like it's all six of one half a dozen of the other in many ways,
1: right, so yeah, yeah, and through that we get cutbacks to the rich having a dance party, well, garbage piles up in the streets in the poor neighborhoods, basically and, right, and yeah, rhetorically what Vigo's doing here is definitely my bag uh so. yeah well
0: I mean it's a, it, it is a, it is it and it's very good because the to a certain extent the playful elements stop it from being as as sort of glum as it yeah. very 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 much could be right uh, it kind of keeps it just enough movement just enough sort of life to it that you're not like well i mean you're kind of already telling me something i know
1: uh it, yeah.
0: it makes it entertaining uh in many ways right
1: yeah um, i also find i find the carnival sequence is Interesting too, because Vigo's definitely portraying them as bread and circuses more than, mm-hmm. uh, you know, carnival. Carnival can be very good as a way for uh, working class people to throw off and do whatever the fuck they want for for a week, um, right.
0: But the problem is is that when you create a like Nice being very specifically a tourism like right elite town, right? It sort of even sort of uh co ops what is fundamentally in many ways a sort of pro like it, it is it is definitely opiate of the masses sort of stuff, but it is yeah. is nonetheless a sort of proletariat kind of right uh, and- festival, right? It is it is it is meant to be a way to Disengage from class class politics in many ways uh, right. for a little bit, yeah. Uh, but that's not possible in places that have been so thoroughly co opted, right? Like where, right. what was it? You're I'm reminded of the fact that like, uh, <laughs> Mark's comments at some point about the fact that they the, it's easy. I'm mixing up my quotes precisely, but like talks about the idea that like one can very much look at the the um, English uh, switch over to the Church of England as a way to avoid uh Catholic holidays, yes, because <laughs> yes. there's too many of them and is not a uh is is hyper non productive it like kind right. of ruins the working calendar,
1: yeah, yeah, and carnival of course is intrinsically tied to uh uh religious holidays uh it is about doing a big thing uh and getting all your sin out right before Lent uh um so, you know, there's this intrinsic, to its very nature, active opiation of Carnival. To, right, there right, absolutely to, is. It's yeah. just
0: that sort of you get into the thing is like, you you we also understand that like a sufficiently capitalist society will then seek to also remove that element. Right, 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 right. Yeah. like we'll also seek to like even extract that from and and it will and does do that in Nice right like is doing that actively is like essentially taking it away even that away right yeah
1: yeah and here we
0: because we see that we see the carnival juxtaposed with like pictures of people working and cleaning it up right like we right. see yeah
1: you know, no no the entire carnival sequence just turned up to 11 right everything going on here right. cuz we get carnival uh, then we get that juxtaposed with the priests slowly gathering for their religious uh, parade, um, right. promenade, uh, and we get that and the juxtaposition of everybody partying versus and the the parade with the racist caricatures and um, <laughs> the big floats versus right. the religious parade that's just. Uh, a couple of people with stabs le- leading a big group. Uh, and then juxtaposed with the military aspect of the parade, with the soldiers marching in the street and the military band, uh, all intercut with people just dancing and with that being manipulated. Uh, so there's slow-mo and sped up a little bit and, and uh, just absolute losing their minds and, uh shot in a way where we're we're shooting up the skirts of dancers and the dancers are being well, very provocative. And we're also kind of got this camera. sort of like
0: they are and then we're also actively sort of looking up at
1: right like in the, right.
0: it is also sort of shooting up the skirts, but it's also sort of like, oh like that this platform in some way is is sort of metaphorical right in the sense that like, right. there's a bunch
1: of people up there that like you don't get the, you can't be up here kind of uh, feeling right to it. right right um but then also the people up there are uh people who have been able to throw off whatever uh shackles they right right yeah and uh and looking at them i'm i'm pretty sure at least some of those uh dancers were people in drag um, yeah,
0: they definitely are. They're a hundred percent. Yeah, it, you know, and, and you can see that there is a sort of brief, fleeting glimpse of like, a, like nearly proper <laughs> egalitarianism in every like conceivable <laughs> right. way, right? But it's yeah. all in a sort of guise of this thing that like rapidly collapses in and on itself, right? Like it right. only can exist. It, it it's a bubble, right? It exists very briefly in a time and a place, and then it's gone. And we cut back to just like. Sort of the most wretched
1: scenes, right? Right, um, and then it's as and it then ends. it's and then it's battleships and burning garbage, and that's right, <laughs> right? and that's that's just that's what needs and is and, built and, on and in the and the right? directors
0: not directors cut the deleted scenes or whatever you want to call it alternative scenes like gaping dark black mall holes in the ground and shit. It's just very right. The 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 deleted or like alternative scenes are somehow more terrifying and nightmarish. Yeah. Like a yeah. lot of like gaping balls and shit. It's like, oh my God.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We end with the smokestacks, which is his own thing unless you're that one uh that one Antione film we watched where <laughs> Right, yeah. <laughs> where modernization and, and uh where air pollution's good actually. Uh because <laughs>
0: <laughs> Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, but, and that's the thing, right, is that like to a certain extent, right, like this era, right, you do have people Making that argument like all the time, right? Like, it, it, like maybe not as explicitly as that, but there is that sort of uh, argument that people are living with all the time, which is like, this is progress. Like, it doesn't, we, you know, it doesn't matter who, like, what happens. This is still progress.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, somehow, and for whatever reason, the alternative cuts, which contain many of the same images from. Uh, from the original film to the point where it is sort of just a re-edited version of the original. Yeah, film, it's it's. Re- I
0: really had a hard time, like fully understanding yeah. it.
1: It's a little longer than Vigo's version that we watched, uh, that we also watched. So apropos Denise is uh, about 21 minutes long. And then uh, on the criterion DVD, it's labeled as welcome to Nice, uh, but it's 23 minutes. Um, and obviously the title cards add a little bit to that uh and there's some you know there is some footage that is obviously there and not in the original not comparable footage in the original as well like um what you what you mentioned already like the gaping maws and uh, yeah so i don't know i guess my my question that seems to not have an answer is uh who edited "Welcome to Nice"?
2: I'm not when? clear
0: on that. That's why I wasn't a hundred percent sure what it was. Yeah, because my initial reaction, of course, is like this is what my initial reaction prior to like watching it was like, oh, this must be like the like the version that got shown somewhere else. As, yeah, like but a, it's definitely not that. editor's cut. that like removed the class politics. We're like, no, the class politics those are even more extreme. So, yeah. whose is, whose version is that? I don't know. It's very unclear. Um, right. It's it is interesting, but it's just also very unclear. It's, you, you don't um, really get a clear answer on that. You don't really. I, I maybe it, maybe it exists. Like maybe there is an answer, and we just missed it. But yeah, I don't know. uh like it having welcomed Denise as the name makes me feel like maybe it was like the version shown in like the U.S. or something. Or yeah, but UK that doesn't super make sense either. But again. And- it,
1: no, and, no and any theory any of the theories we just threw out are definitely undermined by the fact that the final title card describing the carnival sequence and it's uh you know explicitly pointing out where where uh film was flipped is educational it's right this is yeah. what john vigo did here, so like right?
0: it's also possible, like, I kind of also wonder if, if it is possible, like, an actually educational film, like, used in a film school or something like that. Maybe. Maybe. Like, like to just be like, okay, we, we want to talk about, so you've edited it, sort of reduced to a certain ex- You haven't really even reduced the content in the sense that, like, no. it still has the same flow And I, I don't know. I don't fucking know. And there's that is the only educational card in there. None of the other card, like, nothing else right. is educational, except for... Are there more and clearer title cards in the Welcome to Nice than there are in the original There are no version? title
1: cards in the original version that I remember. Right. So that's what I was,
0: saying. I'm try- that's what I was trying to
1: remember is like I've kind of blended up my head together yeah. a little bit. Which is um, very easy to do.
0: So like the title cards in the Welcome to Nice one also kind of like segmented off into sections as you described. Right. I guess could also be seen and understood as sort of an educational element. Like, okay, we can block it off into like chunks more clearly yeah. like this part is this part this is this part but like i don't know man i really don't yeah.
1: i don't know anyway uh i denise really fantastic uh watching yeah it. it's i it's, i love it a uh, lot i, I like it a lot yeah
0: I, yeah i I, I, I really enjoy that sort of experimental film yeah. um
1: yeah, my other lasting question from it is, uh, how do you do those aerial shots in 1930? How does a very poor person do those aerial shots in 1930?
0: I it's got to be purchased stock footage, right? It just has to be, right? There's no and other I, way to
1: do it, right? I don't because we di-
0: we see a uh, we see an airplane, we see a a, a an airplane that lands in the uh, in the harbor, yeah, um, in the bay. Uh, it is among the things that it it the airplane to a certain extent flocks among the boats and, and, and the and the rich people, right? It is also a rich person's thing. But right. presumably it is it is probably what shot the footage. Like it's the only thing that could have That's done fair. it.
1: Yeah. I
0: mean, I guess it's possible that like nineteen thirties, I guess it's possible that Nice may have had a um there there were it was fairly common to have hot air balloon rides. Yeah, As like tourist attraction things and were not nearly as expensive as something like an airplane. Like they took, they were mass, they were like amusement park rides. Like they were mass rides that like people generally like, if you were like even lower middle income could like afford. So it's possible that like he used something like that. Um, They're tethered. So it seems to be moving. So I still lean towards the airplane, but I don't know it is crazy it is it is it is weird to see it in there he definitely also just uses the top of some tall building a bunch of times to just get far away shots of things right but right 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 but that's not the same thing. Like those are, yes, you no, are right. There, no. ex- they're very obviously aerial photos. Yeah. Aerial also, sh- actually, what's leaning? What actually makes me lean towards maybe it being the hot air balloon is that they are very steady. Yes. A thing that a 1930s airplane will not give you.
1: Yeah. Uh, under especially, any circumstances, especially a handheld camera, uh, just held yeah, out. The I, door. I, I. They've got to, it's <laughs>
0: got to be hot air balloon.
1: Yeah. Um, all right. You know. Uh, well, moving on. Our next work is uh terrace or jean terrace swimming champion
0: my favorite one mainly because i love this goofy shit so much i also love anything that makes me remember tokyo olympiad (laughs) yeah no
1: no it was same basic concept
0: some somebody hired me to do this and i am going to fuck it up
1: yeah yeah so yes this is one uh where he was hired uh he was it's a commissioned work um by the film agency he was working, you know that right. was distributing his other stuff, uh, Gamont. Um, but yeah, they hired him to make a short film about swimming, uh, centered particularly biographically on Jean Terry. Uh and what he comes back with is uh, is Jean Terry teaches you how to swim, <laughs> right? And it's very silly. I love it.
0: It's it's like, I also kind of wonder if to a certain extent it's purposely giving you bad advice, but yeah. Um,
1: <laughs> Maybe. Maybe it's Jean Jean Terry is uh, trying to keep himself from being challenged. The, the, the being the school.
0: champion. Like I yeah. have found a way I will teach everybody to swim bad. Yes. Uh, like, I, you it, no, it actually like, you know, yeah, no, it, it's really, it's very weird. Um, uh, I, I I love it, though. I love... Yeah. You know what that also reminded me of? Remember the guy who made the science... We watched it maybe two years yes. ago, the science documentaries? Yes. Uh, It's like a, crass, a cross between that, Tokyo Olympiad, and just almost a parody film in many ways.
1: Yeah. It wasn't even... Uh, Jean-Penleve is uh, who you're thinking of, and it wasn't... uh yeah. It wasn't even quite two years ago, I think. Oh, I guess it was. It's yeah, I don't, I don't
0: remember. Are you uh, do not quote me on time. Yeah. It has no meaning, and I don't know it anyway.
1: Yeah, it was uh, It was a little over 100 spines ago. I didn't think it was that long ago, but yeah. Um, the uh, One of the most interesting things to me uh, about this is finding out where it was filmed. Uh, the Jean Terry uh, swimming pool frequen- sequences uh, were filmed in what is called the Auto- Automobile Club of France, uh, which makes it sound like it's just tr- France Triple A, but it's uh, it's like a private club for, <laughs> I, I presumably originally for people who owned cars, uh, but sponsor major races. But the club itself has lounges, a uh, swimming pool, a gym, uh, a five thousand uh, item library, and is in an old palace. Um, right. But, uh, but the swimming pool there they shot it there, uh because the swimming pool already had glass uh windows, so that you can which watch. is weird, which is which like
0: is, fucking weird,
1: <laughs> which is definitely what I expect from a French private club, uh right, yes, yeah, that's the sort of stuff that happens in those things, uh, but, yeah, so it's shot there, um. <laughs>
0: I mean, somebody got that, probably got that, It's it, like, if we're being, like, annoying, that probably got built for very much the explicit, explicit purpose of what he's doing in the film, which is like, wow, what an easy way to teach people how to swim, we'll have them view somebody swimming from the side or some shit. Now, is it, is it used for pervert shit most of the time? Yes, it is. I think the there's pervert the, there's came the real up with that yeah no, no, I'm saying that the perfect came up with the idea and like, how can I justify this right,
1: right, yes. and it was definitely like
0: swimming lessons you can
1: you can learn how to swim here uh you can learn how to swim by observing the ladies uh, but-
0: <laughs> i'm sure I'm sure he said it like that, and all of the people who were in the room because it's all dudes anyway, all went ah together with each other. Oh. I'm sure that's exactly what
2: happened
1: <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. But yeah, this is, uh, I, <laughs> you're bringing up of uh, the Tokyo Olympiad, uh, I think is, is a smart comparison here. Obviously the science, the science, fiction stuff in that it is documentary uh, documentarian, uh, but it is messing with, with what we're doing here and it's underwater in a lot of ways. And John Payne leave really, uh, pioneered that on a science end, um, but the Tokyo Olympiad, just the way this is shot and the way it treats sport. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very, it, it's
0: just like a very, very similar in line attitude Konishikawa's it. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. <laughs> um.
0: And, it, and it, to the point where it makes me wonder, like, Konichikawa maybe has seen this thing. Oh, almost Or something, certainly. right? Or, or yeah. if not, like, you get that sort of, like, second or third hand influence in some way, right? Because it's just so... It's just so much the same in many ways, right? It's just you just you, it, it's like oozing all over it.
1: Yeah. Um Yeah. Yeah. And Tari himself is just a nerd, right? Um just just a,
0: so
2: a guy, weird dude who's just swims. a weird dude.
0: Well, it's also like that that very special time in sport, right? Like it's early enough in sport where you can be like not that great, but as long as you're like a rich guy with some time on your hands, yeah, you can just be the best at this sport. You don't actually have to be like all that good. You just have to have the money to like dedicate the time to be better than the other rich assholes.
1: No, uh, no biographical information on John Terry. I don't. I don't know if he was idle rich. Uh, he does I mean, uh, there's
0: a little bit. There's a little bit. It was a Frenchman who competed in 1928, 1932, and 1936 Winter or uh, Summer Olympics. Um, he was in 1928. He was eliminated in heats of the four by 200 and 1500, and he won a silver medal for the yeah. 400 men's freestyle. Uh, finished sixth in the 1500 freestyle, placed fourth. I mean, he's mostly like an also ran, uh, like getting <laughs> third and fourth and
2: stuff. Yeah. Uh, only when he's European the best swimmer as soon as he's pitted France. against
0: right as soon as he's pitted against anybody who isn't French, he loses basically. Yeah. uh
1: I was struck in watching this of how much he looks like Jeremy Allen White, the actor from the bear uh
0: okay, yeah, no, I agree, I agree yeah. he is also just he's also just a kind of goofy guy, right, like he's just yeah. got a a kind of a goofy countenance about him that makes him pretty fun. He's pretty entertaining to watch. Oh, yeah. like, no, he just he's,
1: is. He's got good charisma for for what's going on here too, right? He's not stiff. He's uh he seems on board with with Vigo's
0: it being fun. sort of jokey yeah, like,
1: funniness about it. Yeah. Uh and, you know, like like you mentioned in the introduction, the the He's sp-
0: also not very old when this is made. He's only 21 years old when this oh, yeah, made. Yeah, is made. Oh yeah, yeah. He's dude. definitely young. Him yeah. and Vigo are like of an age with each other. Right. It's just a couple dudes hanging out fucking
1: around basically yeah. and from from everything we've heard that's mostly what vico's career uh crew was is a yeah, bunch for of the people part, yeah a bunch of people with very similar worldviews and senses of humor of uh, all getting together uh but yeah um like you mentioned in the it, introduction the, the special is effects. the answer to oh sorry i was gonna no, say please go is ahead. the
0: answer to what if all the guys in high school who like to fuck around with video cameras hanging out with each other were actually good at
1: it. Yes. Yes. Actually very good about it and doing something interesting and innovative. Uh, right. At a time where, you know, turning on a camera was still pretty innovative. <laughs> so just. Right. Right. Station, You're kind right.
0: of breaking some ground by just having a camera and learning <laughs> yeah. how to use it.
1: Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, uh, the special effects shots in here are are. Silly. Well, he walks on water. He, he jumps. He emerges
0: water. from the water like a dolphin and lands on the poolside. <laughs> yes, it's beautiful.
1: And, yeah, um, and then suddenly has a coat. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. magic. They, he's magic. He's a he's
0: an angelic swimmer with magic powers. We've been through this. Yeah, um, I, they can't really afford the effects to actually like do the walking on water effects, so they just juxtapose the two. <laughs> the two. Uh, Yes. And so you can very clearly see that it's just like a street. Yeah, he's not so much uh, he's beautiful. he's
1: not so much walking on water as walking in water uh, in that cho- yeah. in that shot. It, but uh, I think
0: that's what I think they're going for walking on water. Oh though. no, I they definitely are. The... They
1: definitely are. They're just Vigo's angle is a little bit off. Yes, is, is all I mean.
0: And they also just don't have the budget to like actually do anything. Like right, nineteen thirties. Like you have. Like I mean, you. you you have special effects, like you know, if they had a budget and a desire to, they could. It's just more like, that's not what this is about.
1: Yeah, I don't think, I don't think anyone watching this in the theater was fainting, thinking that uh, Tari the, the was, was actually walking on actually walking. Uh, I water. don't
0: know about that,
1: but, but maybe, um, yeah. And then just intercut with the with the woman lying on the stool, demonstrating the, the uh. The stroke as well is I love it.
0: Well also the, the, the running commentary at the time is you can't learn on the land. <laughs> or so it's like yes. hey dumbass. Get in the water, <laughs> basically. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh which is beautiful in and of itself.
1: Yeah. But it's all very good. It's it's very short. Uh it's about nine minutes long. Uh and there's fifty six different cuts in it, which is a lot for a nine minute movie that's meant to be a documentary about about swimming. Um the uh uh
0: but the the point I was trying to make, sorry to like derail things. Yeah, but please. Oh like, uh, sorry, like, you know, special it, it's interesting because in many ways, um, Vigo is doing um sort even in this is doing a lot of sort of experimental film like like special effects and like techniques like that do exist. He's just more like it's much more of a vibe of like fucking around with the camera like what oh, do yeah, we do definitely.
1: with yeah. a camera right Boris Kaufman shot this one as well Boris, like I said Boris Kaufman shot everything we're talking about today and, and uh, in the other half of this episode um, but yeah you know it's Vigo. Vigo gets an idea and makes it best he can and it's silly and it's innovative and it's fun um, he apparently did not like this movie uh
0: It wouldn't surprise me to learn, like, I don't know why, but, like, it wouldn't surprise me to learn that even this was too commercial for him. Yeah. I I I didn't like to work for money.
1: Listen, Um. uh, he made this in 31. Uh, He dies in 34. Uh, I could imagine Jean Vigo thinking, this is a waste of what little time I have.
0: Yeah, Uh, for sure. And he's, and, and in some ways, like, the good news is that to a certain extent, like, in the long run of sort of history, right? It, it, it didn't end up mattering, right? Because right. like, it is also so interesting to watch. Like, yeah, he has, but I can he, definitely, you can definitely understand how somebody would be like, I don't know if this is a good use of my time, but I need a paycheck or whatever. Right,
1: And he does, uh, he has as much fun as he can with it. And, um, again, like Konichikawa, he cashes that check and does as much fun as he can while he shoots. this Right. Stuff, right. right. Uh, yeah. Uh, so moving on, our final film for this week is uh, Zero for Conduct, uh, Zero de Conduit, uh, from 1933. Uh, this is narrative. It is fiction. Um, it is uh, influential. We've seen at least two films that we can we can draw direct yeah, absolutely, from. Absolutely, yeah. Truffaut's 400 Blows borrows uh, overtly. Uh, Lindsay Anderson's if, uh, which we watched, uh, well, probably four, four or more years ago at this point, but with Malcolm McDowell as a young, yeah, young man yeah. who I mean, ultimately takes over his school. Too, yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, borrows plot wise from this. Uh, but yeah, fun little, fun little movie about, uh, uh about a boy's school. Um, Drawing on personal experience, as I already said, Vigo grew up in a boarding school after his father uh, was murdered. I'm sorry, after his father committed suicide in prison. Uh, yeah, this one is, uh, the first film that he makes with a rich businessman that he met, uh, and I love the I love the background on this. Uh Jacques-Louis Nunez uh was a movie lover, like like Vigo is. Uh these are guys mm-hmm. who are absolutely in love with film first. Uh and then want to make film. Uh Nunez had money, uh, and also had this I don't know. I guess a hundred years later, it's very easy to think of this as a strange idea, but maybe it wasn't such a strange idea in 1933. But Nunes is absolutely convinced that uh, there is a uh, completely wide-open niche in the European market for medium-length films for 40-minute movies, uh, and he wants to start making them. So, well
0: the funny thing is like 1930s, aren't you still getting like, cause we haven't, it's not been that long since you got out of the silent era where like film reels are quite short and they were yeah. like, like, I feel like we have seen like under an hour films pretty regularly, like pre 1930 anyway. Right. Yeah. So it's yeah. like, Oh, we need to return to form and go. Right. We got to go back d- to our
1: roots. 20 minute or even sub 20 minute, uh, shorts in the silent era were very common. Um, Obviously, you know, uh, apropos niches, only is only 20 minutes. Uh, and then 60 minutes seems to be the lower limit for a feature. So there is this missing middle, I guess, there in mm-hmm. medium length in about 40 minutes. Um, has even Even the silent shorts, it's hard to think of any that were definitely just like two reels. 45 minutes or so long. I don't know. I'm sure we have seen some. Oh, they some. definitely, they just, definitely, we definitely
0: yeah. seen some. But, like, we don't get a lot of, like, the. we very rarely encounter the silent era in yeah. uh, in Criterion, really, when you gr- think about the grand scheme of things. And I understand that, like, from a practical perspective, like, the silent era is a kind of a, it's kind of a, a black hole in the sense that, like, a lot of stuff doesn't exist, combined with the fact that, like, relative to, like, how long film has been around, like, it gets relatively shorter and shorter compared to like the full width and breadth of cinema. That being said, as we've talked about in previous episodes, the amount of film that was actually shot during the silent era might even still eclipse all the film that's been shot since then. But most of it's gone. Doesn't exist. We don't have access to it. it, So, you know, but like, I do think there were a lot of one real thing, especially those like a lot of early things are, are that way. Right. Partially just because it was, like you like there was a lot of experimentation about like how long could you get an audience to sit down and stuff like right, that right, and right. and endure this and
1: yeah and hot
0: hot theaters and shit like that
1: and one thing nunez might be leading into is the idea that if you do uh if you do a 40 minute uh, you could do two you could do two back-to-back, pretty yeah. back pretty easily back to back uh and then you get two films for the time investment of one and yeah I mean, everybody will love that. Um, <laughs> everyone did not love this everybody movie. Doesn't uh, <laughs> no, but it wasn't. It wasn't uh, probably
0: not uh, necessarily because of the length. Though, it wasn't the length. Fair.
1: Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, Nunez, uh, he approaches this with with one condition. Uh, it's contractually, it's got to be forty minutes long. Um,
0: I've got to fulfill my insane beliefs.
1: Yeah. Uh, Vigo's initial treatment for it was apparently considerably longer, uh, according to the Beak Height essay uh, with with the Criterion release. Um, And even after he trimmed the treatment back with what they shot, he had to cut a thousand feet from his first edit of the film to get it down to the size we have right um and again the size we have is still a few minutes longer than the <laughs> contracted 40 minutes yeah, I just, just couldn't
0: uh, get it under control
1: the thousand feet of footage cut uh, apparently completely lost uh who knows what was in it no one yeah that is the answer jean vigo oh wow uh, and probably boris kaufman who shot it but it's interesting the reason people didn't like this movie. Uh, or at least the given reason. Obviously, it's, it's a movie that has a very anarchic politic. Right. Uh, it is a movie in which children throw off the regimental society they have forced, been forced into and wave a red flag on the roof of their boarding school uh it is a movie in which authority is shown to be dumb uh almost right. across the board the people in charge are silly people uh the we watched uh one of the bonus features on this is 90 minute uh episode of french television uh the show is called uh Sinaste de uh Notre Tem. Uh and it is it's it's one of the longest bonus features that wasn't a produced film that we've ever had. I mean basically.
0: it's it's certainly one of the it's actually probably one of the longest bonus features we've ever had. Yeah, ever yeah. had, right?
1: Yeah. Um, and it's a career retrospective talking about Vigo. Uh it's from the sixties, I believe. Uh early sixties. Uh and There's a lot of great information about all four films uh, that we'll be watching. Uh, The last third is basically dedicated to La Antalanta. So we'll talk more about it next week. But but in talking about the censorship of this movie, it got really interesting. Because basically explaining that almost every government agency... (laughs) Had the authority,
0: had the ability to exert a censorship authority. It's wild,
1: man. Like
0: my favorite example is: there's why is there a fireman smoking under a no smoking sign? Is like we'll have the Ministry of the Interior or some shit. Like all up up your, right? It's like uh, I mean, now of course they're being slightly hyperbolic, but they don't seem like they're being that hyperbolic.
1: No, they Um, don't. They don't. Uh, yeah. Critics either loved or hated this. Uh, the original screening had people jeering and people absolutely ecstatic. Uh, It is... (laughs) Some of the initial complaints were that it's too scatological. It's not super scatological. There's a lot of, like, butts in this movie. Um, Yeah.
0: But I don't feel like it's more butts than you get in your average, like, silent comedy film circa this era anyway.
1: I don't know. There's not a lot of skin in the average silent film, but
0: um. well, what I what I mean though is, that I I feel like there's a decent amount of like but butt in France and probably humor yeah. in well, but even like I think you get even in the United States you could get away with a fair amount of like fart and butt humor in film. Like you just yeah. can like people people. There's a sort of idea that like people find it funny have always found it funny. <laughs>
1: Yeah, so basically, uh, it was successfully banned until after the war, um, right? And most of Vigo's works were lost until after the war, anyway. And it was in post-war France that there starts to be career retrospectives. And you know, he died in 1934, and pretty soon after 1934, France had more pressing matters.
0: What 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 I'm finding what I'm fascinated about, because like, kind of get into this a little bit, like the. The interesting thing about the career retrospective thing that we watched is that it's very in many ways it's like the nitty gritty it's not really about the sort of higher minded ideals of the whole thing and stuff like that it's it's very it, it gets very into like how it was made and 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 like the day-to-day experiences of making the films yeah um but I'm fascinated by the idea that like like getting into sort of the sort of general overall themes of of the film I I'm I'm fascinated by the idea that um the title of the book of the mo- of the movie is zero for conduct right so they can't leave the school because they're bad kids right but we get into the idea that like the 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 punishment inherently creates yeah. more of the problem that it that it that it seeks right. to punish is a fascinating idea, especially when you consider like Vigo's life specifically right like yeah dealing, you know like the idea that like his father and he grew up being essentially hounded, right. Uh, for the political views, which just sort of intensifies those views, right? Like it's, it's, yeah, again, the punishment intensifies the thing rather than, than, than getting rid of it. Right.
1: Yeah. And it's also, you know, the, the sorts of things that the school authorities are concerned with that get these kids punished are, uh, not, uh, not things that they even really need to worry about. Sometimes, uh, well, yeah,
0: I mean, well, yeah, welcome to teachers, right? Um, right, right, right. But,
1: uh, but to you know, to your point of drawing a parallel between this and his father's political assassination, uh, the uh, the kid telling his headmaster, "Why don't you eat shit or go to hell?" or whatever it gets right. translated as cuz it's uh in our copy from the criterion it's uh I'm pretty sure it's eat shit um and then in the uh clip they show in the career retrospective in the french tv series uh it's translated as go to hell um obviously it's the same words so i don't know and and, and obviously it's not a translation that that subtitle is not from the original french broadcast so it's not like it was a, right it was uh, my, my guess to, is where yeah.
0: i don't know enough about french but like, yeah. it happens like inventives tend to be quite right. um cultural yes and so you just translate them as a thing that makes sense because right right, right. otherwise they're gonna a person's gonna be real like what the fuck does yeah. that
1: mean in in any case uh what the kid yells is a headline that vigo's dad had printed uh oh, aimed at aimed at pol- the politics of his era uh so he's making a direct reference to his father's politic uh an overt reference to his father's politic in having having that line be uttered uh yeah so and obviously you know it's there is an, as i already said in an Antarctic politic not just the colloquial definition of anarchic which could easily be applied to this movie too because it's kids doing whatever they want right uh but also we are we are building actually a a, a very particular anarchic revolution uh in in what they're doing uh the behind the scenes stuff that they spend a lot of time talking about in the bonus feature here is all really fun uh with the uh with the one teacher uh the one uh the housemaster uh was just Vigo's landlord who who yeah, came yeah. who came into came into their apartment to say hey could you quiet down and also you owe me two months rent and Vigo was like you're perfect uh which is obviously <laughs> a ploy just like so obviously a ploy <laughs> like yep <laughs> I wish that would work with my landlord uh but
0: well, so th- okay, so this okay. I'm gonna go on a tangent that like um, kind of going back to like apropos Denise and stuff, yeah, is that like um, so like um, we're gonna boy wait for a real tangent, we are about to go fully off the rails, so um, I you know we we both enjoy uh well, there's your problem, the sort of the engineering podcast, and they did a bonus episode a while ago on on photography. Uh-huh. in, like, film photography, and one of the things they talked about briefly in the episode was, as, as, nowadays, people are very used to the idea of being filmed, right, but in the early days of film, and, and, and it wan- It takes a pretty long time to wane, whipping out a camera was like, almost like having a magic wand, in the sense of, like, you could sort, and, like, there are Bugs Bunny cartoons and stuff that we engage with oh, yeah, this absolutely. as well, the idea that you could just, like, fucking magic spell people into, like, doing shit that, like, Under no circumstances would work if you did not have a camera, right? The idea that you could just like, like magic spell with a camera your landlord and to be like rent what (laughs) rent like you're gonna be a movie (laughs) you're gonna be in the movies, bud. Like and you could just like do it like it's just such a funny idea to me, but like was very was very real, right? Like oh yeah, absolutely. You you can still do it now, but like you need now you need like oh check out how many followers I have on Instagram or something. I guess is part of the spell now, but like. Yeah, this is the idea of like a person having a camera and being like, "Fuck yeah, take a photo of me," or like, "Fuck yeah, record a film of me." Yes, sign me up.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, then the the flip side, because uh, so many of these people are non professional, right? Uh, Mobbing's is just played by the the wife of the shopkeep where they were staying while they made the film, mm-hmm. basically. Um so we're we're early for french non professional actors to be a real thing right I feel like we're, well so I feel like
0: that there's another weird thing where we kind of go through there's a sort of a, a go through the rabbit hole sort of phenomenon here where like I think that was quite common before it became not common you know i, what suppose I mean that's probably true when when film was in and 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 bearing in mind that that Vigo is already outsider art in many ways, right? Like he's yeah. not operating in whatever structures have been created, he's not operating inside of them, right? But like, you know, as time goes on, right, like things get more regimented, right? And then and then you specifically have people actively defying what's been built. Vigo, it's hard to tell, right? Because there are studio systems and stuff in 1930. Like there is a regimentation system that exists, but one gets the impression that maybe it hasn't been so all-encompassing yet that you couldn't just, like, have a rich dude just ask you to make a movie. You know what I mean? <laughs> to a certain extent, we haven't quite crossed the threshold where even the rich guy would have to go through the studio system where at this point he could just, like, just have you make the movie. You know what I mean? Uh, is, is And so then you're just going to not operate in whatever system exists, right? And you're just going to, like, get some random people. Uh, so we kind of go, like, go back around. Like we loop rack around to like, oh shit, like it's so all encompassing we now have to defy
1: it. Vigo's friends in the French television episode we get as a bonus feature, uh, do joke that he would find it hilarious that uh they named an award after Vigo Vigo himself. I imagine Vigo would also find being awarded this thing uh seventy seven years later for having survive censorship? No, that's not what happened. Uh, cuz he died right. before his movies could be shown. So uh
2: yeah.
1: <laughs> I'm sure he would find well, I think, it
2: darkly hilarious as well.
0: Yeah, there is, this is sort of the curse of the creative right that like nearly every time the like especially posthumously, right? It's always posthumously, the award you will be given is a thing you would have you would have found horrendous right like it's the way it is right like I feel like this happens so much to like authors and stuff too right like oh somebody posthumously gave this award to this person who would absolutely have fucking hated
1: it there's a lot of there's just a lot of great humor in this movie Um, some of it surrealist like when the kids drawing comes to life when the two teachers look at it and we get a short animation break Um, right not not super easy to notice but the back row of the VIPs At the at the commencement Celebration at the end uh, Are just puppets uh, Right Yeah Yeah. Um, Tabard at home On his break Blindfolded with Some little girl <laughs> Holding a globe above his head for no reason Right <laughs> It's all very silly Um and you know we we open my the first laugh, not the first laugh. There's still already some good laughs, but the two of them, uh, hot boxing the non smoking car is just it's very good. Yes. <laughs> flat out. Uh, and yeah, and huget Huggett, the teacher is. They declare that there's a dead body. And they're telling all the other students about how they saw a dead body. And then and then the guy who was the dead body is their new teacher who, right, has, yeah. who has an obsession with Charlie Chaplin, apparently. Uh does a pretty good tramp later in the movie. Um yeah, no. That that guy's fun. That guy obviously exists as the the childlike adult who is the one who <laughs> In another movie, would be the one who could actually reach these kids, but is actually just uh, presented as the the one reasonable person in the entire. Right. Entire
2: it's thing.
0: it's it's yeah. It, it's very much more like he's as much a subject of ire by the system as they are. Right. Like it's right. more like it, it. Like you're right in the sense that yeah. Like well, in another movie, in most movies, he would be the one who could reach them, but eventually gets fired because the system can't can't cope with that that level of innocence or whatever or like or you know but would would still reach the kids and like you know whatever but like yeah and this one it's just like yeah the the adults also hate this other adult too uh kind of yeah. immediately and inver- it's you know it's it's interesting i i find it interesting as well because I found the thing kind of interesting because it also has a sort of, it, it, it is not completely dissimilar from Apropos Denise or something like that. It is not, while it is definitely a narrative and it has, it is like a, there's a full through line you can understand what's going on, it is disjointed, as you mentioned, like the animation and all that stuff, disjointed enough that like there's a clear sort of sense of like, I don't want this to flow perfectly from beginning to end in just the most sort of like logical step. You know what I mean? Like there's a desire to like mess with the concept of, of, of story flow. Right. And not just make it a straight through sort of thing, Uh, which I admire quite a bit. I found it. I found at times I struggled occasionally to sort of, to sort of keep it in my head, like to keep up in some ways. But at the same time, the flip side is, is it's a very fascinating uh, sort of story experience.
1: Yeah, and you know the the way the revolution builds is maybe narratively not great, uh, because they like with the pillow fight, uh, with the pillow fight with the uh with the monitor where they tie him to the bed and then have like a parade with one of the boys up on a right. up, up on a a throne, um seems like a war victory parade, not just a battle victory. Uh, right. But then the fight with the commencement ceremony is like a new war, basically, you know? <laughs> and their winning of that is just them on the roof uh, planting their flag, which, of well, course... And
0: it, and it, but, well, that's the thing, right, is that, like, we, we as the audience are engaged with the audience the knowledge as well that like this is a temporary thing, right? Like right. this is not like it is a vi- it is a triumph but it's not a victory, right? Like it is a it is it has an we know an end is coming. We just don't have to watch that end, right? And and it to a certain extent, right? Like it, it you kind of end up with the the roof and the and the bed thing as kind of like as sort of a matched pair of sort of uh the economy because that that does come to an end, right? Like it, it it's it ceases. It sets the idea that like any of these victories are only temporary unless they're sort of maintained, right? Like um kind of getting into the sort of the class politic of it all, right? Of like you can't you can't just win and then like not and then it's over and you don't have to do anything anymore, right? Yeah. Which the kids are to a certain extent naive of, right? Like they don't understand completely, right? They are children, nonetheless. Despite everything, they are children, and they and they have a sort of naivete about it, and the idea that like there's no consideration for, well, like what happens when the and there's no there's no consideration, there's no care. They don't they don't care, and that's part of their charm, but also is in many ways. <laughs> Keeps kind of kicking them in the ass. Is like, well, what do you do when it's over?
1: Right. Yeah, and what they do when it's over is just stand on the roof, and that's our our last image. Well, right, and that, but uh,
0: that, because that's not the end, right? Like, that's the point right. is that's not the end, right? Like, yeah.
1: You know. They, yeah, they have won that battle though, right? Uh, yeah, I mean they won that the battle, fire but fires. the
0: thing is, is like the the question is, is that like, you know, we. We, I think it is posing a question. The movie is posing a question to us, which is like, yes, they have won that battle, and now exist in a totally unsustainable existence, right? Like, it the, the battle they they literally cannot maintain it, right? Right. Like, and it's like it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when it will collapse. And so you're you're left. It's both triumphant and sad at the same time, right? It's triumphant, but the we know that the end is will come right and i right. and i i i think that's important i think it's a thing that the movie wants us to think about
1: right and you know it's uh it's the bit lindsey anderson grabs onto, entitling their film if right with the right with yes the ellipsis, absolutely yeah with the extra long ellipsis you know uh <clears throat> the question of what happens next after this it's a great piece of film uh really enjoyable having the headmaster uh played by a dwarf is low-hanging fruit certainly but uh I, yeah. I can't yeah it is I can't I can't fault a 70 year old movie for uh, being politically politically incorrect in that way Uh I,
2: I mean know. we can we have done we can. It. and we, <laughs> we can and we, and we, should we have do it right will. it's bad
0: yeah. it is bad it is not as bad as it could be. Right. It
1: is it is the dramatic irony of uh it, or it is the irony of a dwarf holding that authority and everyone actually showing him deference uh is meant to be right. silly. And, and, and then that is and a sort of a
0: ju- again, a sort of juxtaposition about the idea that all the children over like the adults we don't can we we think about it but it's more that the children themselves are are taller than yes than their headmaster right um it, but you know it is still a problem and um yeah i mean we you know the movie is also like you know the the one the one teacher is funny because he's like wildly obese and 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 gross right like right they're they're it's got a lot of those kinds of problems there's no there's no way to avoid that uh the movie is sort of chock full of those kinds of problems it has a despite the i would say it's it's more in despite those things it has a lot to recommend it right right um there's a lot of really interesting stuff happening a lot of like visually quite interesting uh i i do, the I you see. you mentioned the parade scene i find that parade not the parade the um the triumph in the in the over the over the monitor and the yeah in the bed and stuff, is is quite beautiful, right? With the oh, fla- yeah. with the feathers and everything. It's it's there's but, a lot of things despite despite the the photog- the cinematography being rough, it's quite rough at times. there's a lot of very beautiful things. In
1: yeah, it. the behind the scenes stuff talking about how the kids were not were not pulling their punches with that guy too is also very fun.
0: <laughs> yeah, like
1: absolutely. Absolutely. Well, because it, it talks about, like, they, the,
0: the documentary's engagement with that is quite neat because it's, it's talking about the idea that, well, like, you know, in reality, goes not that much older than they are. It, right. It, it, some of the older kids, right? Like, he's, you know, if he's shooting this in 1932 or something, was that 1932, 1933? Yeah. 1933,
1: right? Uh, he's what, like, oh, how old is he? Mid 20s? 1903. Yeah. yeah. 27. Or something like
0: that. He's he's quite young. Um yeah. it probably wasn't that and he was born in nineteen oh five. So he's not even yeah, he's like twenty, yeah, twenty eight or something. Yeah. He's quite young. And, and he also seems he looks to have young, a sort period. of childlike. Yeah. Yeah. And also seems to have a sort of childlike kind of attitude and stuff. So he's he's we we keep talk they keep talking about the idea that he's constantly like egging the kids on to be yeah even more and they are just kids. They're just like just, they're just, just young kids, right? They're not, they're not anything special, right? They're not one of,
1: one of the actors who played one of the kids uh, is also interviewed and he's got a great little anecdote about trying to find extras uh, from among other students and how he went, uh, went to another school just to invite his friends and was afraid, afraid that if he went into the school, they weren't going to let him leave because they think he was a student there and that he'd get trapped in another boarding school. It's very funny, but yeah, this is obviously Vigo having a lot of fun and synthesizing a lot of personal stories and, and personal politic uh, into what is, what is just a a really neat little movie. Uh, I will say, you know, sort of pushing back to something we've, Delphine, the dwarf, playing the headmaster, there's the stuff with the hat, and that's sort of a joke at the expense of his being a dwarf. Um, the juxtaposition of him being shorter than many of the kids. Uh, you know, Ultimately, it's not, it's not a joke about him being a dwarf. It's a joke about authority being less than what it thinks it is. That well, I are, mean, yeah, we
0: get right. into the idea that like that the authority and force is a is an imposed system that exists sort of kind yeah. of um kind of exists in a sort of um in a state that's like artificial. Like it's not Right.
2: And the like artificiality of, of chi- the Any is. of the
0: children themselves could physically overpower them if he right. want him if they wanted to, right? It's, right? it's 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 all a construct rather than a than like yeah. He's not the the biggest, tallest, strongest person in the th- place who has the authority. If you're kind of getting into like, okay, well, who has authority and why, kind of thing. Yeah, kind of. Discussion. He's got
1: the longest beard. That's uh, it's the only thing he wins on. I, I can only
0: hope that's the reason. I yeah. mean, to be fair, I think it's both. Right, like I think I think if we're being fair to the situation yes. in the film, it is, it is a decision that has uh, like some conversations about like po- the politics of authority and power combined with like also a desire to just make a fairly basic stupid like kind of joke about somebody's appearance right Right. Uh, both of those things can be true at the same time
1: though the uh, the interviews talking about how Vigo cast Delphine without telling the production company uh, suggests that they would not have appreciated that joke on any level but
0: right yeah I mean yeah I think I, I think they would have maybe found that joke to be too sort of just base maybe or something to that effect.
1: Yeah. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if uh, it would have been a baseness to, uh, I don't know. 1930s France. It's hard to say if they would have been offended, uh, that, uh, that they were just making a dwarfism joke. Uh, or if they would have just thought, no, we can't have we can't have a dwarf in a position of authority.
2: Uh, I think it's
1: probably I think were... it's
0: probably a little bit of everything, right? It, it probably feels very vaudevillian, right? It feels very low humor, combined with the idea that, like, well, if we're in a position where we censor things because the fireman's smoking under the no smoking sign, the idea that that a, that a dwarf would be in such a position of extreme authority is is laughable. It it, right. it undermines authority, right? Because all of this. All this censorship is all all about like the undermining of like the role of authority right it's all very very fascist right It's all very like uh, yeah. you know authority needs to be maintained and and the uh, the appearance of authority is 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 the thing that is most important
1: right so stepping back big picture, and maybe this is something uh-huh. we'll we'll have more insight and can talk more about next week. I didn't run across any information of how. Vigo contacted tuberculosis. Uh, but it seems like he contacted tuberculosis shortly after he would have left these boarding schools that he's raised I in. I mean, right.
0: like, so a couple things, right? Like, he, they talk about him. Shoot, one of the Wikipedia articles talks about him. I think it is for, uh, apropos Denise. He, con- he is actively suffering from, uh, tuberculosis at the time rather than the sort of long-term like health deterioration like yes because you get you get tuberculosis you don't not have tuberculosis ever again right but it goes into remission and things like that and especially if you live a very healthy like you know good diet good weather there's a reason why they sent people to certain places to live when they once they they had the money to live um and and so he didn't live a life that would have, like, allowed him to continue living with tuberculosis in many ways, right? Um, but they talk about him I'm not contracting, at least suffering from... Mm, no, I'm trying to find it. I thought it was apropos Denise. They mention it because it is one of those things where... Um, I, that would have still been quite young, but, like, Bearing in mind that tuberculosis is a contagious disease that, like, yeah, just would sweep through groups <laughs> of people, right? Like, especially if they were right and in a position where they couldn't be quarantined from each other, right? And post- which most people who are working class cannot be. Right.
1: Post World War One in France was a particularly bad time for TB. Right. Uh, yeah, um, but even even beyond if he contracted it because he was uh working class or or in in poor life situations um his father is a very famous person but famous infamous is a better word there right i just keep thinking about vigo compared to say jean uh, jean renoir they're alive at the same time they're working at the same time uh mm-hmm. If someone like Jean Vigo had had, obviously if Jean Vigo's father was a world famous painter instead of a French famous anarchist.
0: Famous anarchist, yeah.
1: Yeah. Jean Vigo's politics would be- And and more importantly,
0: famous 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 (laughs) traitor, right? As far as the system is concerned, famous traitor.
1: Right, right. As far as the system is concerned, famous traitor, who Vigo has to change his name in order to live a quasi-normal life. Uh yeah, I mean just just thinking about the the inequality of opportunity to even people with incredibly artistic talent. There is no downplaying that that Jean Renoir is an incredibly talented filmmaker, right? Uh right. but if Vigo had half the opportunity Renoir had, uh and maybe maybe it's good that he didn't. Uh I don't know. Uh, dying young is always a tragedy. I
0: mean, there is the sort of the there is sort of the old like live fast, die young yeah. sort of thing, right?
1: And um, and obviously Vigo knew he was going to die, uh, and and we've got interviewers talking about it how how he knew he had to go all out for everything because he didn't have the time to wait to be able to do what he wanted to do. Right.
0: Uh, well, it, it's kind of funny because um, there's that quote in the Wikipedia about from uh, Andrew Johnston, the the film critic, uh-huh. about like how film is so short on your Keatses and your Shelleys because like so rarely do film like directors die die young and leave a beautiful corpse, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah. And what one sees a lack of sort of this, this is just to get really into our shit, rit right? Yeah. One sees a lack of, in that statement, and maybe maybe the article goes on further and elaborates on this, I'm going to guess no, but one sees a lack of awareness of why that might be the case and how that also relates to class politics and, and right. money in the sense that, like, huh, I wonder why a majority of directors don't seem to die very young. Yeah. I wonder if it has anything to do with their their lives prior to and during the time that they're working as directors that maybe helps to prolong their lives and make it so they end up making, you know, thirty films instead of four.
1: Right. Right.
0: And how we when we finally encounter so one who is the son of an anarchist who has no money to get into this business, and and seemingly continues to live by the in, at least to some extent those the ideals of of his father. Why right. suddenly he's dead in four year after four years after he starts creating right like there is again we kind of get into this idea of social murder and and the idea that like boy that isn't that isn't a coincidence like that didn't happen out of coincidence right he contracted tuberculosis because the sorts of people who contract tuberculosis 1930s are the sorts of people who also end up doing things like day labor and 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 right and are in, boarding, are, are in maybe less than ideal boarding schools or situations where, again, there is no attempt to quarantine. There is no attempt to save yeah. so, the, the, the underclass.
1: Right. So on the one hand, without without him knowing that he's suffering from tuberculosis and knowing that death could come at any time, he may not have turned things up as much as he did in the four right. films we get from him. But on the other hand... If Vigo had had as long a career as, say, Pasolini, and just kept right. turning up every every time, right, just kept
0: cranking the dial like every time, just yeah. like, all right, number goes up higher. We just yeah. gonna keep doing this. Uh, um, just, well, here's the thing: is I'm not I'm not entirely convinced, and I and along the lines of what you're saying, I'm not entirely convinced that Vigo is only turning things up because he knows he's going to die. Yeah, I think there's also an inherent like who he is to this. In the sense Absolutely. that, like, because he contracts he contracts tuberculosis in 1926, it is part of the filming, right? So he right. has had it, but he's not necessarily. It, it is in theory in remission for quite a bit of time, right? Yeah. And like, it it's hard to tell exactly based on what we have here, exactly when he knew it was killing him. Yeah, that's fair. Because tuberculosis no, as you said, is you know, not never... by its
1: nature inherent, right? It is going to kill him. You know, it's going well, to kill you. Yeah, sometime, I mean,
0: yeah. Right? It, at this time, it will. Well, yes and yes and no. It's it's weird. Tuberculosis is weird, right? People survive, like theoretically, survive tuberculosis. You can live the rest of your life with tuberculosis in remission if you can get good food, good healthy environments, and good. Like it's still not a guarantee, but like a lot of people live the rest of their lives with tuberculosis, especially once we've got antibiotics just fucking running around rampant all over the place. You know what I mean? Yeah. You still have it, but you can like essentially make it a non-issue at some point. We don't, at this point, obviously, but like my my point is, is that like rich people aren't dying from tuberculosis a in part because they're not getting it because they're not put in positions to get it, but B because they can go on holiday to the fucking Riviera and like get the, the, Warm, fresh, salt air instead of the shit air in the city. You know what I mean? Like there are those those things do help, right? But also when they're going on holiday to do that, they're also just not working hard if they're not and they're eating really well, right? Right, right. Things right, that right. will sustain your body through tuberculosis. Yeah, assuming that you're like otherwise healthy person will like allow you to just keep living. Like my my point being that like he. Yes, he is always dying, but he doesn't necessarily isn't always, like a night, you know, a twenty-five-year-old, twenty-six-year-old with tuberculosis at this time may still feel pretty fucking good because he's twenty-five and is, in many ways, for all intents and purposes, actually invincible. Like <laughs> the, the twenty-five-year-old body, in many ways, like twenty-four, twenty-five-year-old body, in many ways, is essentially a machine that won't stop running unless you really do some fucking serious damage to it. Um, so, like, I mean, you know, it, my my point being is that, like, I'm not sure how much of it is, like, to, like, go back to your original point. Like, I'm not sure. He may just be this kind of person, too, and may just be the sort of person, as you talked about, your your Vaseline or something like that, who will just... the The dial started at 11, and now we just have to keep turning it i guess because nobody gets the point um because you know if you think about his upbringing and stuff like that he's somebody who was like essentially born into a family where the dial was set to 11 day one right like dad's an anarchist you're on the run since you're a child and like he dies in prison like that pretty much sets the bar right that's yeah. an anarchist newspaper writer who goes on the run, and now now you have to work from there. That's the starting point.
1: Right. Right. Yeah.
0: In that way, if you really think about it, the movies we watched are fairly tame. <laughs> like, if you consider that as your... If you consider the starting point, right? This is probably him being... Kind of chill. Yeah.
1: Well, he's... Speaking. He's a guy who, at the second screening of his very first movie, Apropos de Nice, gives a lecture called Towards a Social Cinema. Right. Uh, and starts talking about social social documentary uh, and documentary as a way of being inherently polit- uh, political. Now, interesting enough, uh, Boris Coffin says that he had literally the night before seen the Buñuel dolly collaboration Unchi, Unchi and Andalou for the first time right so throughout most of that lecture he just couldn't stop talking about she and Andalou,
2: um which is right. it's itself
1: you know uh, I mean, bunel and dal would go on to to make much more overt social films uh, but Unchi and Andalou isn't not that um right uh, right it's surrealist but it's not pointless um Right. So, I mean, you know.
0: well, you know, he's also a film lover, right? Like he is, yeah. he is, at, he is at his heart. They're all people who right. love film, right? And so bringing back to the point you were sort of talking about is this idea also one can think about is the system that exists inherently deprives society of the sorts of people who might be able to affect and change the system. If you think about it, if you consider the possibility that art has the ability to change the way people view their world, then somebody like... Vigo is somebody who has the potential to create works that would alter the way some people think about the world around them, but the system inherently deprives the world of the people who would be able to do that. Right. It's sort of designed to purposely do that. Um, many ways, right? Like he gets four films out that are, that are influential, but they're influential almost artistically more than they are socially in many ways. it seems like, you know what I mean? Um, yeah, which is a problem, right? Because he doesn't have the time or or space to go as long and as hard on on those social issues as as he could,
1: right? We're talking about Renoir in the '30s, right? So we've seen, I think, three films where Renoir sort of gets political in the '30s. "Baudu Saved from Drowning" is about a bourgeois guy saving who is essentially what is essentially a hippie, not really even just right. not even a hobo, just a hippie. Um, by the end of the decade, we'd have. uh, Renoir looking at the coming war and making rules of the game and we also have Lebet Humane and someone mentions Lebet Humane in one of the one of the uh, the bonus at one point in the bonus feature we watched uh, this week but lebet humane we watched that you remember when we watched that because our main yeah. takeaway was what what could be a very humanist story <laughs> about a working-class man uh, is really is really just uh, Jean Renoir and Jean Gabin having fun on a train. Um, right, yes. <laughs> uh and you know that that doesn't disqualify the elements of the story. But but that's right. that's why they made it. Uh, cuz they wanted to play on a train. Um, like, like, like,
0: literally it's a state it's a stated yeah. reason in like right. in some document I don't yeah. remember anymore yeah. but it was like Yeah, we did not yeah, make that we up. We wanted to hang out on a train. Yeah, right. it was not a thing we made up. Yeah. It's not like our impression. Yeah. It's also the impression the movie gives you also right. beyond that, but it, he, yeah. they, they literally overtly state, like, yeah, we wanted to make a movie on a train because we like trains and we wanted to hang out
1: on a train. I brought up Pasolini because Pasolini and Vigo have that sense of urgency that Renoir has in Rules of the Game, but Renoir doesn't right. have in so much of his other work. Well, and, and, and
0: bearing in mind that... Uh, You know, rules of the game is 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 yeah. He feels that pressure of the war, and then when that ceases and passes, some of that urgency is gone, right? Like right.
1: And Pasolini has that urgency, not not just because he fears the return of fascism, but because he knows that he would be a victim in a return to fascism, and he is right. He's (laughs) Pasolini is assassinated for. His right, absolutely, views, yeah, I mean, right? yeah,
0: f- which is a very important thing to keep in mind, right? Yeah. But beyond that, like, it, and it, but it, you also get the impression with the Pasolini that it goes beyond, it, it is an acknowledgement, it is a more realistic and materialistic sort of view of the world around him, it's like, this is... Right. We never really got rid of it, you know what I mean, like right. it didn't right. really yes. go anywhere yes.
2: like that is obviously we're we're all pre- right. talking about yes,
0: whereas a lot of people like Renoir, or somebody like it's a little bit easier they exist in a world where they can say this thing is gone right uh, because that's that's the that's the hallmark right like we we it comes up all the time, right like People are like, and, and you know, people are like, and the Nazis are back. And I was like, the, my man, the Nazis never went fucking right. anywhere, right? Other right. than into government again, <laughs> uh, yes, yes. Other than to positions of authority uh, after being, by and large, just declared apropos of nothing, rather than apropos of Denise of um, uh, apropos of nothing that they're cured of of, of
1: Nazism now, right. like, well, because
0: we need people who know how to operate the fucking right bureaucracy (laughs)
1: the bureaucracy yeah uh well we have a whole other vigo film to talk about in another episode and uh that'll give us plenty more time to talk about vigo as a political animal as well and more reason to i'm sure uh yeah so pin in this conversation for now let's pull this one to a close next week we'll be doing our holiday special uh very excited for that two weeks from now we'll be back to finish up the complete Sean Vigo uh Criterion box set. But thank you so much for listening to Washington Criterion. I'm as always Lee adam Glass. With me as always, Sean Patrick retired Dorgan, and we'll see you next time. <laughs> listening to Lost in Criterion with co-hosts The Adam Glass and John Patrick O'Atari dorgan with the collapse of Twitter who knows what social media we might end up at how about Blue Sky that sounds great check out the official podcast account at lostincriterion.bsky.social Jonathan Hape does our music and you can check out more of his work at jonathan-hape.com or on any music streaming service and you probably should he's pretty good a big thanks to everyone who supports us on Patreon. You can join their ranks at patreon.com slash lostincriterion And hey, thank you for listening.